Dave Emmy here. This is for the record program number 1143. How many lies before you belong to the lies? Part 16. This is being recorded on April 29th of the year 2022. Before we get into the main part of the broadcast, four links. These are at the top of each written for the record description. I turn each for the record program into a long article length description so that listeners can examine the printed sources upon which my lines of argument are based for themselves. At the top of each one of those descriptions and at the top of each Food for Thought post. There are four links. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of For the Record by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, and uh, in the year of our Lord 2022, that is increasingly the case with uh, people to a large extent, uh, living on their uh, smartphones, then, again, WFMU William Fred Mary Union is podcasting the programs as well as archiving the For the Record shows on uh, MP3. And you can click on that link and subscribe to the podcast. Another link will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive containing the vast bulk of my 43 years of work on the air, both printed and audio, as well as the uh, comments by Perifractal and other intelligent listeners. Uh, I, again, uh, I, I wouldn't have thought I could, could have become more pessimistic than I was, say, two, three weeks ago, but I am getting that way, and uh, I think there is a very real possibility of uh, things in Ukraine spinning out of control, kind of like uh, the situation at the beginning of World War One, and ending up in a nuclear exchange. Um, I do think that, and this will sound corny as hell, I think that as sentient beings, you have a responsibility to do what you can to preserve the record for those who come after you, so they can figure out just, you know, what in the hell went wrong. Uh, obtaining that 32 gigabyte flash drive is a good way to do it. It is available for a very nominal and tax deductible sum if you itemize your deductions, and I get no money whatsoever from that. Another link will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of which are made by our brilliant contributing editor Terrafractal, that's P-T-E-R-R-A-F-R-A-C-Q-Y-L, and some by other intelligent listeners. And the last link is to a Patreon site that I have just begun. Again, there is so much going on, I can't cover it in a one-hour weekly program, which I'm going to continue to do. So the comments by Perifractal are important, and so is the Patreon site. It is still very much evolving. Uh, as it looks now, as things concretize, and I can only counsel a degree of patience as this becomes uh, a reality, I'm going to be doing roughly three 20-minute talks 
each week, plus a one-hour-long talk each week. The software that transcribes those talks into printed descriptions has proved to be too imprecise to be practical. So in lieu of those descriptions, I'm going to be doing uh, every other week a Q&A Zoom session uh, for those who uh, had previously uh, been uh, registered for the, uh, print, the, the printouts. And also, I'm going to be doing some writing, not like the written descriptions, but some actual writing, writing, and that also will be on the Patreon site. There is no schedule to do that. This also, again, is a very new experience for yours truly, but I do think it is time for me to uh, set out some of the, what I've been doing in uh, a more formal written format. So that also will be available on the Patreon site. There are links at the top of, again, each for the record description and each food for thought post. And once again, I counsel patience as this takes uh, form. Now, the title of the series, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, comes from the autobiography Heartland, published in 1976 by the late, brilliant political comedian Mort Saul, who not incidentally was also one of Jim Garrison's investigators in the, in, in the late New Orleans DA's investigation uh, of the assassination of JFK. Uh, Mark Saul, again, observed, quote, how many lies before you belong to the lies? In other words, how many lies can you allow yourself to believe before you belong to the lies? And as this series progresses and as the situation disintegrates, uh, the importance of a really multidimensional manifestation of that concept are becoming increasingly, not only clear to me, but increasingly important. I think when I first began doing this series at the beginning of the Ukraine war, I was mostly thinking about the public in this and other Western countries who have basically allowed themselves to listen to a bunch of BS for decades on end. And there comes a point where you belong to the BS. And uh, in, again, that is certainly true uh, as things disintegrate and as uh, we see various commentary about uh, what, what should we do if Putin uses uh, tactical nukes. And there was a delightful uh, column in the Wall Street Journal advocating that we begin sinking Russia's nuclear submarines uh of course, the Russians will take that line down. That won't result in a nuclear war. Well, I'm being facetious. Yeah, it will. Uh, but it is, I think, increasingly a part of the dynamic, the, the, the particular dynamic, as in title of this series, that the policymakers themselves are belonging to the laws. We will be touching on some of the uh, allegations that Russia has made in the UN concerning the biological warfare programs that they appear to have uncovered and which are heavily overlapped with the programs we talked about in our long series about the coronavirus and what I call the Oswald Institute of Virology. And uh, as the lying continues and as it becomes, if anything, more egregious, 
I think in addition to the people listening to the laws, I think that the policymakers themselves, those who are crafting the laws, are increasingly becoming the possession of those laws and driven by them. And uh, really, they belong to the laws. And I think ultimately, uh, we may all be lying in our graves if uh, this thing really goes where I'm afraid it, it has at least the possibility of going. We've been talking about uh, the big lie, and to say that I am incredibly skeptical of so much of what we have been told would be understatement. We've looked at very serious problems with the uh, accounts of Russian, quote, atrocities, unquote. I went into uh, that in greater detail in some of the Patreon talks, but there are, even if, if one looks at the New York Times, which is a direct extension of the CIA, if one reads it carefully, there are some serious discontinuities in the accounts of what's actually going on vis-a-vis the war itself. And I find myself uh, really craving accurate, unbiased, battlefield reportage. <laughs> Largely, I'm afraid, in vain. Uh, in the next program, I'm going to present a really thoughtful analysis of the war and what went up, uh, when, what went led up to it by a gentleman named, named Jacques Beau, B-A-U-B, a former Swiss intelligence officer uh, involved with NATO and all kinds of things, a highly credentialed individual and someone who is certainly not pro-Putin at all and uh, was working with NATO. But he has presented a very uh, thoughtful account of the war itself, which differs dramatically from what we have been told. And, and other uh, accounts of the actual battlefield progress also uh, from people I think can be trusted uh, differ significantly from what we have been told. One of the factors that is shaping the line and the understanding of that, and also I think the continued policy making, and that is the, the fact that an awful lot, I think the vast bulk of what is coming out in the West about what is actually going on in uh, the war itself is coming from the Ukrainian government and its uh, various national security uh, wings, not only the SVU, the Ukrainian Intelligence Service, which is which has the imprint of the old OUNB and has been involved in some really nasty things. It, uh, not surprisingly, has uh, a heritage which involves it very deeply with the CIA and uh, things like the Azov Battalion, which uh, has a very, Azov Regiment, I should say, has a very close relationship with the Associated Press. The BBC has very close uh, connections to the Ukrainian right wing in the national security establishment. And uh, the Ukrainian Interior Ministry and the police establishment there, the Ukrainian National Police, uh, auxiliary organizations like the National Regime of Militia, a spin-off of Azov, and the Combat 14 Militia, named after the 14 words, minted by David Lane, who drove the Giveaway card and the assassination of Denver talk show host Alan Berg by the Nazi group The Order. Uh, that it is a spin-off of Svoboda. 
the Ukrainian authorities, the Imperial Ministry, Azov, related and or embedded institutions like the AP and uh, the BBC, which once upon a time, sadly, was a very credible organization, but as we've looked at in recent programs, they have become very close to and inextricably linked to past the point with MI6, British Foreign Intelligence. And so when we look at the coverage that is coming out, aside from the fact that organizations like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the major broadcasting outlets, they have their own very close relationships with the Mockingbird uh, milieu, that is the uh, CIA's long-standing uh, media component, what uh, Frank Wisner referred to as the mighty Wurlitzer, uh, even they are getting their information from the Ukrainian government. New York Times, April 5th, 2022, looking for an elusive victory, Putin's forces are shifting east by Thomas Gibbons Neff. Uh, one sentence, Ukraine's government has severely restricted information about its casualty numbers and frontline access to its forces is practically non-existent for most news organizations. One more time. Ukraine's government has severely restricted information about its casualty numbers and frontline access to its forces is practically non-existent for most news organizations. Well, obviously, uh, that does not speak well for the objectivity of an awful lot of the reportage that is coming our way. Uh, on top of that, a number of outlets, including the New York Times, and also uh, the following from NBC News of April 6th of 2022, have talked about the fact that the U.S. Uh, is being very candid about using, quote, low-grade intel, unquote, uh, as a psychological warfare device to game and mislead the Russians, I think. That it's not, it's not really so much game, intended to game or mislead the Russians as it is to game and or mislead us. Uh, this from NBC News. In a break with the past, I think that should be taken with a grain of salt, but it says, in a break with the past, U.S. is using intel to fight an info war with Russia, even when the intel isn't rock solid, unquote. By Ken Delamian, Courtney Cube, Carol E. Lee, and Dan Belus. And this, again, from ABC, NBC News, rather, April 6th of 2022. It doesn't have to be solid intelligence, unquote, one U.S. official said. It's more important to get out ahead of them, the Russians, Putin specifically, before they do something. Well, I don't think they're fooling Putin, uh, who is far from the brute or the madman he is being made out to be. He's not only a trained intelligence officer, but a very intelligent mature, measured individual. The portrayal of Putin in this country and the West in general just bears essentially no semblance to the reality. I followed uh, Putin for many years, and uh, what is said about him and what is, he is said to have done doesn't add up. On the other hand, it really seems that Americans never learned. They just don't seem to realize that not only 
uh, is this country not really a democracy? Witness 112263, uh, 4468, uh, 6568, uh, the <laughs> ouster of Richard Nixon in a coup because it wasn't far enough uh, to the right, that coup being Watergate, uh, the 1980 October surprise, uh, the, <laughs> uh, the 2000 election. There have been so many different uh, manifestations of a fundamental lack of democracy, but the American people never seem to learn. And they never seem to learn uh, that our government and our media lie like rugs. Uh, I would recommend to listeners the 25 one-hour series of interviews I did with Jim Diagemio, the brilliant author of uh, Destiny Betrayed, and not incidentally the man selected by Oliver Stone to do the screenplay for his latest uh, TV series, documentary series. Uh, perhaps the most important aspect of that series of interviews with Jim Diagemio uh, and I explicitly articulated this many times, and that is the synthesis between the forces that conspired to kill President Kennedy and cover up the murder and uh, the justice system and the media, which are inextricably linked with the intel media that did it and the justice system that is supposed to investigate and, in fact, covered it up. And the media themselves are active co-conspirators. They are literally accessories after the fact and conscious accessories at that. And yet the American people never learn. You know, they were lied to about Iraq. Saddam Hussein was not involved in September 11th, and he didn't have weapons of mass destruction. He also, not incidentally, was installed by a 1968 CIA-assisted coup. Uh, he did, however, sit on the second largest proven oil reserves in the Middle East behind those of Saudi Arabia, and the combatants there uh, borrowing slightly from Marine Corps General Smedley Butler, who described himself as a high-priced gangster for capitalism when he looked back on his Marine career. Uh, the combatants in Iraq were basically making Iraq safe for Hunt Oil that got the first concession there. Uh, the head of Hunt Oil is also a member of George W. Bush's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board. But yet the American people never learn. And uh, so on we go. And uh, if the U.S. is trumpeting using low-grade intel, uh, <laughs> uh, thinking what they considered high-grade intel in the run-up to Iraq or the uh, fabrication of the pretext to get into Vietnam, it, it boggles the mind. It really is frustrating at one level, also philosophically worth pondering. You know, it, it, it sounds facile, but one of the relevant considerations is the old fable of the boy who cried wolf when uh, a boy has lied repeatedly about matters of, of importance or when an entity has lied repeatedly about matters of importance. Uh, how can you believe them? Uh, we have been regaled with photographs of various kinds of alleged Russian atrocities. Uh, one of the satellite firms that has uh, spewed those out and that has been uh, cited by the New York Times, among others, is a firm 
called Maxar, M-A-X-A-R. Uh, that, and there, that was the focal point of a comment by Perifractal, uh, as was the, uh, NBC News. We're gonna use, uh, not rock solid intelligence to get out front, get into Putin's head, and this is getting to our heads. Uh, those links to those comments by Perifractal will be in the written description for the program. Uh, as the Maxar Company is the parent company of a firm called Digital Globe, which I spoke about in For the Record Program number 808. That, interestingly enough, was in August of 2014, a long time ago. And interestingly enough, also, that program was called uh, How Many Lies? It was called Walking the Snake in Ukraine, uh, talking about uh, the Nazi elements that were uh, primary in Ukraine. And this was, you know, almost eight years ago. Uh, and it also talked about uh, the subtitle of the program was How Many Lies Can You Allow Yourself to Believe Before You Belong to the Lies? Uh, that was how I remembered the Mortsall quote from Heartland. It is not quite correct. But even back then, I was talking about that, and I was citing Digital Globe, a major subsidiary of Maxar, the source for many of the pictures uh, being used uh, about, quote, Russian atrocities, unquote. And way back in August of 2014, they were providing pictures of an armed Russian invasion of Ukraine, including armored vehicles, self-propelled artillery, etc. And as I pointed out, that firm was founded by key personnel from Ronald Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative. Uh, there was a Wikipedia entry that talks about that, and also about a... Uh, law that was passed in late 1992, specifically October in the last few months of George H.W. Bush's uh, term as president to allow private firms to begin providing satellite intelligence. And in addition to uh, people involved with uh, Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative uh, and uh, the quote, Star Wars program, as it was nicknamed, uh, people like Dr. Walter Scott, uh, and uh, his co-founder was CEO Doug Gerrell, G-E-R-U-L-L, I may be mispronouncing that, uh, in his LinkedIn uh, bio, uh, Doug Gerrell was... Uh, basically uh, proven to be a member of the Zeiss firm. That is a German-based electronics firm, one of the major cartels and firms involved with the massive transatlantic industrial access, deeply involved with Wall Street and American funding of the Third Reich. And again, we talked about this in 808, and the links will be uh, re- uh, basically re- recapped in the written description for this program. And guess that was back in uh, August of 2015. So when you have uh, Digital Globe and its parent company, Maxar, convincing us, telling us honestly they wouldn't lie and they're showing pictures of something that did not happen in 2014, are we supposed to believe what they're saying now? Uh, something that sheds, I think, some perspective on that comes from the late Robert Perry of Consortium News, 
of September 2nd of 2014. And uh, he sadly died of a fast-acting case of cancer. That is one of the intelligence service's favorite ways of getting rid of people. And he had been uh, targeted by the Prop or Not group, an anonymous group of Cold War, quote, experts, unquote, who have been allowed by the major media to uh, basically spew out McCarthyite smears of anyone who disagrees with them or disagrees with the official line on Ukraine as, quote, Russian dupes or allies or what have you. Uh, Robert Perry was smeared by proper not in an, a Mark Ames article. Uh, he notes the... Uh, tweets that had come from Prop or not with the Ukrainian salute used by the OUNB and now used by the Ukrainian police and military and asked the question whether Prop or not might be connected to the Muratvaretz website and uh, that is maintained by uh, not only the uh, far right wing and Nazi elements in Ukraine but has been uh, linked to the murders and intimidation of some political and journalistic figures in Ukraine. Uh, again, Robert Perry from Consortium News of September 2nd of 2014 about those, quote, photographs, unquote, of the Russian, quote, invasion of Ukraine, you know, eight years ago. Now, this one happening. Who's telling the big lie on Ukraine? And uh, skipping down in the article. And now there's the curious case of Russia's alleged, quote, invasion, unquote, of Ukraine, another alarmist claim trumpeted by the Kiev regime and echoed by NATO hardliners and the mainstream media. While I'm told that Russia did provide some light weapons to the rebels early in the struggle so they could defend themselves and their territory, and a number of Russian nationalists had crossed the border to join the fight, the claims of an overt, quote, invasion, unquote, with tanks, artillery, and truck convoys have been backed up by scant intelligence. One former U.S. intelligence official who has examined the evidence said the intelligence to support the claims of a significant Russian invasion amounted to, quote, virtually nothing, unquote. Instead, it appears that the ethnic Russian rebels may have evolved into a more effective fighting force than many in the West thought. They are, after all, fighting on their home turf for their futures. Uh, in our next program, perhaps at the beginning of this show, so we'll have to see how we go time-wise. I don't think we're going to have time for it. But uh, the aforementioned Jacques Beau, deeply involved with uh, NATO intelligence uh, and uh, activities vis-a-vis Ukraine, uh, will get his view, and he doesn't uh, buy the uh, small arms or Russian involvement at all. He talks about that at uh, some length, but we'll get to that when we get to his analysis. But uh, again, after that, quote, big lie, unquote, in Ukraine, are we supposed to believe what Maxar says now? I think at, at a minimum, one has to be deeply skeptical. Something that I think may very well factor in a big way into what, uh, you know, in, in a couple of shows ago, we spoke about uh, some uh, reportage from uh, the Gray Zone website, which is doing some very good work. And there were accounts 
of uh, Ukrainian elements doing basically what amounts to ethnic cleansing or ideological cleansing, uh, those they deem to be Russian uh, agents and or collaborators in the wake of the Russian abandonment uh, positions around Buka and other Kiev suburbs. Uh, I suspect that may very well have had something to do with the uh, bodies that began turning up several days after uh, the Russians left those areas. Uh, something else that I think may factor in a big way, and that is a company called Clearview. That was founded by a key member of the alt-right and the Trump campaign named Charles Johnson, whom we've spoken about in the past. And one of the major figures involved in it is Peter Peel. Peter Peel is also the top dog in Palantir, the alpha predator of the electronic surveillance landscape. And one of his top operatives, in turn, a major consultant, is, I think, arguably the most important single member of the Biden administration, and that is Biden's Director of National Intelligence, a woman named Avril Haines, a very important individual who is also a key member of Biden's transition team. She had been Deputy Director of CIA under Obama, was a key participant in Event 201 in mid-October of 2019, which was a rehearsal, uh, sort of a biological war game uh, to... Uh, prepare for a coronavirus-caused global pandemic which would rend the political, economic, and sociological landscape of every nation on Earth. A remarkably prescient thing to uh, have engaged in about two months before that happened for the first time in a hundred years. I do not think that is a coincidence. But again, the position of Avril Haines, a consummately important individual in Palantir as a consultant, is not to be lost sight of. Uh, Clearview is an AI that uh, scrapes social media and uses facial recognition, and it is not only being put at the disposal of the Ukrainian authorities, but is being used by the Ukrainian National Police. Uh, one of the key figures in shaping that was Vadim Troyan, the deputy commander of Azov, and uh, it also has been very close to Arsen Avakov, the uh, former interior minister, who uh, is again another major affiliate of the Azov milieu. Uh, the Ukrainian National Police and the Wad institutions are one of the major sources for the, quote, Russian atrocity, unquote, allegations that we have been flooded with in our news media. And the use by the Ukrainian authorities, the Azov imprinted the corner term, national police in particular, of Clearview, again, overlapping uh, the landscape of Palantir, Peter Peel, Charles Johnson, Donald Trump, the alt-right, is something to keep in mind. New York Times, April 8th, 2022, using facial recognition to gain an edge in war by Kashmir Hill. The tool, Clearview, which cannot be, one more time, the tool, Clearview, which can identify a suspect caught on surveillance video, could be valuable to a country under attack, Mr. Tom Tot wrote. He is the head of Clearview. He said the pool could identify people who might be spies as well as deceased people by comparing their faces against Clearview's database of 20 billion faces from the public web, including from, quote, Russian social sites such as the Contacta.
According to one email, Ukraine's national police obtained two photos of dead Russians. Well, if the Ukrainian national police, as it appears, are using that uh, AI facial recognition technology coming birth in the American far right, a database of 20 billion faces, that is a lot, but only 6 billion people are. There's actually about 7 billion now on the earth. This is something to keep in mind, and it's something to keep in mind uh, with uh, regard to what we have been told, with uh, the Ukrainian authorities conducting uh, searches uh, for, quote, Russian collaborators or spies. Uh, as we have seen, they have an awfully uh, loose definition of those terms. Uh, something about the background of Clearview, this from a very important biography of Peter Peel by Max Shafkin, C-H-A-F-K-I-N, published in hardcover by the Penguin Press and copyright 2021 by Max Shafkin. It's called The Contrarian, and it's about Peter Peel. And uh, skipping down and talking about uh, Peter Peel electronic uh, firm, electronic intelligence firm Palantir, Palantir's support of the Trump administration was still indirect, but Peel was not above directly linking his business interests with Trump's most controversial policies. In 2017, Charles Johnson persuaded Peel to invest in a new venture that he was developing with Juan Tontat, the anti-Gawker enthusiast who'd met Peel at the Republican National Convention. It was called Clearview, and the idea, as Johnson explained to Peel, was simple. <laughs> Boy, has it ever used AI and scrape social media and uh, pinpoint people for <laughs> whatever. Skipping down. Clearview would eventually sign a contract to give ICE access to its technology and would have Peel's help. After hearing Johnson's pitch, he provided $200,000 in seed capital to the effort. They are now working with the Ukrainian National Police, and so I think that has to be uh, kept in mind. Uh, we're going to turn now to one of the factors that I think compelled uh, Putin to invade Ukraine, and that was the biological warfare programs that apparently were there, heavily overlapped, as we have seen in for the record 1138 and 1138 and 1239, with uh, the dynamics involved with the Oswald Institute of Virology. On April 6th, there was a meeting at the UN Security Council, which was the US and UK did not attend. It was blacked out in Western media, and all references to it have been, you know, well, Putin's a liar, you know, isn't that stupid, etc. I think that the discussion there was not only very important, but it really needs to be uh, evaluated uh, in connection with some of the things we've already seen, and it sadly is generally not. There was some discussion of this in a blog called The Indian Punchline of April 21st of 2022. It was by M.K. Capital B-H-A-B-R-A-K-U-M-A-R. It's called Migratory Birds of mass destruction. Now, about M.K. Bhavakumar, because, you know, people have never heard of him, you know, why should we pick his word for anything? Uh, he provides a thumbnail bio. I was a career diplomat by profession. 
for someone growing up in the 1960s in a remote town at the southern tip of India, diplomacy was an improbable profession. My passion was for the world of literature, writing, and politics, roughly in that order. While doing doctoral research on the works of Tennessee Williams, however, friends encouraged me to have a fling at the civil services examination. As it turned out, before I could figure out the the momentous import, one more time, as it turned out, before I could figure out the momentous import of what was unfolding, fate had pitchforked me into the top ranks of the merit list and ushered me into the Indian Foreign Service, that's the equivalent of our State Department. Roughly half of the three decades of my diplomatic career was devoted to assignments on the territories of the former Soviet Union and to Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan. Other overseas postings included South Korea, Sri Lanka, Germany, and Turkey. I write mainly on Indian foreign policy and the affairs of the Middle East, Eurasia, Central Asia, South Asia, and the Asia Pacific. Now again, this uh, article from the Indian Punchline blog, blog of M.K. Babakumar, Migratory Birds of Mass Destruction from April 21st of 2022. The U.N. Security Council held an extraordinary event on April 6th under the rubric ARIA formula. Actually, under, one more time. The U.N. Security Council held an extraordinary event on April 6th under the rubric Area Formula Meeting on Biological Security regarding the biological activities of countries including Ukraine. That, uh, by the, the title of the uh, event, Aria Capital A, Bubble RIA Formula with a capital F, Meeting with a capital M, Biological Security with a capital B, and the capital S, respectively. Continuing. Predictably, the U.S. and U.K. representatives did not show up at the event, and the Western media also blacked out the proceedings. But that does not detract from the profound significance of what transpired. The highlight of the Security Council proceedings lasting over two hours was the disclosure by General Igor Kirillov, Chief of the Radiation, Chemical, and Biological Defense Forces of the Russian Armed Forces, that Washington is creating biological laboratories in different countries and connecting them to a unified system. He said the U.S. has spent more than $5 billion on on military biological programs since 2005. One more time. He said that the U.S. has spent more than $5 billion on military biological programs since 2005 and detailed that in territories bordering Russia and China alone, about 60 facilities have been modernized during this period. The Ukrainian network of laboratories is designed to conduct research and monitor the biological situation consisting of 30 facilities in 14 populated locations. Highly sensitive materials from the Ukrainian biological laboratories were exported to the U.S. in early February, just before the Russian special operation began, and the rest were ordered to be destroyed lest they fall into Russian hands. But the cover-up was only partially successful. Indeed, Russia is in possession of highly incriminating evidence. Previously also, 
Russia had released a number of documents related to the biological military activities of the Pentagon, which pointed toward a worldwide project to set up biological laboratories in rival countries with the goal of developing targeted viral weapons against those countries. The proceedings of the Security Council Conference on April 6th are in the public domain and are accessible. And there's a video embedded in the article. Russia has made, has made specific allegations pointing fingers at Pentagon funding for the biolabs in Ukraine, location of these biolabs not only in Ukraine, but 36 countries around the world, diseases and epidemics on which research is going on, focusing on the means for their release, the countries where they are being tested, even without the knowledge of the governments of these countries, and of course, experiments relating to coronavirus and the bats used to transmit this virus. However, the U.S. has so far point-blank refused to accept any supervision and verification of such incriminatory evidences and has stonewalled the demand for a verification mechanism, as well as in mainstream media. We've seen article after article poo-pooing the very uh, concept. Continuing. It is unlikely that the U.S. will permit an international verification process that holds the potential to expose it as involving in crimes against humanity. Although there are appropriate frameworks in place, including the Biological Weapons Convention and the U.N., to hear the clarifications from the relevant country in a fair and impartial manner. A mind-boggling discovery, unquote, that Russian forces in Ukraine stumbled upon is the use of numbered birds by the Pentagon-funded labs. This almost falls out of science fiction, and Sir Alfred Hitchcock could have made an epic movie out of it where deception mixes with innocence, and man's cruelty to nature becomes unbearably grotesque. The project works like this. To begin with, the Pentagon accesses the scientific data available with environmental specialists and zoologists after studying the migration of birds and observing them throughout the seasons, relating to the path these birds take each year on their seasonal journey from one country to another, and even from one continent to another. On the basis of this data, groups of migratory birds are caught, digitized, and capsules of germs are attached to them that carry a chip to be controlled through computers. The, the birds are then released to the flock of the migratory birds in those target countries toward which the U.S. intelligence has malevolent intentions. Of course, these migratory birds travel great distances. The wandering albatross, for instance, is known to migrate at least 8,500 kilometers eastward across the South Pacific to the coast of South America, and many shy albatrosses migrate westward across the Indian Ocean to the coast of South Africa. During the long flight of the birds that have been digitized in the Pentagon biolabs, their movement is monitored step by step by means of satellites, and the exact locations are determined. The idea is that if the Biden administration or the CIA has a requirement to inflict harm on, say, Russia or China or India, for that matter, the chip is destroyed when the bird is in their skies. <clears throat> Plainly put, kill the bird carrying the epidemic. Sadly, my mind goes back to the novel by the American author Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Haunting Story of Innocence Destroyed by Evil. 
For return to reality, once the bibipized bird is killed and the capsule of germs it carries is released, the disease spreads in the X or Y country. It becomes a highly cost-effective method for harming an enemy country without any need of war or coup d'etat or color revolution. The Russians have made the shocking claim that they are actually in possession of such migratory birds digitized in the Pentagon's biolabs. International law expressly forbids the numbering of migratory birds because they freely crisscross the blue sky and air of other countries. By supplying them with germs, these birds become weapons of mass destruction. What human ingenuity! Exclamation point. But the U.S., enjoys total immunity from international law. The bottom line is that only U.S. intelligence and President Biden, perhaps, if he remembers, would know where all humans have been infected so far in this century by the birds of mass destruction. Was the Ebola that devastated Africa a pest case and precursor of things to come? What about COVID-19, which is known to have originated from funded laboratories that were administered by the U.S.? It is very likely that the U.S. might have used migratory birds to kill Chinese citizens. Clearly, the U.S., in its desperation to reverse its global decline, is pulling out all the stops to restore its hegemony in a world order that is inexorably moving toward multipolarity. I don't know about birds. I wonder about bats. There are any number of possible vectors for COVID-19. We've spoken about that at length in the series about the Oswald Institute of Virology, and we've come back to it in this series. Uh, time permitting, we'll touch on it again. Another uh, Indian blog from November 8th of 2014, this by N.R. Krishnan, K-R-I-S-H-N-N, from the Hindu, again, November 8th, 2014, the birds Bharatpur talks about a program way back in the 1960s that may have been a precursor of what we're talking about. And this uh, reads, At Bharatpur in Rajasthan is the Keoladeo, that's K-E-O-L-A-D-E-O, Gama Bird Sanctuary, the winter sojourn of thousands of birds from far and near. They come from the icy wastes of Siberia and the cold sands of Central Asia, Europe, and the western and northern regions of China. In winter, it is a bird watcher's paradise with the long-necked Saurus cranes captivating visitors with their courtship dances, S-A-R-U-S. An Indian ornithological outfit was interested in studying the migratory paths of the wintering birds. They wanted to catch a number of birds, put collars around their necks with identification marks, and release them. The idea was to keep track of the birds wherever they rested along their routes and on their return to Bharatpur the next winter. Financial support came from the World Health Organization. Skipping down, talking about a young foreign service officer and an elderly colleague who enlightened him about some things. One afternoon, the young officer had the opportunity to have tea with a veteran scientist cum administrator in the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research. The elderly man was all warmth and friendliness and inquired of the officer how things were. 
the young man poured out his tale of woe in failing to convince the powers that be of the genuine request of the ornithologists and how much natural science's research would be affected sans assistance. The man laughed and asked, quote, Do you know the background of this project and the people who were interested in it? And proceeded to provide enlightenment. It appeared that a unit of the U.S. Army called Migratory Animal Pathological Survey was interested in the project. The Army's interest lay in knowing whether bacteria were being transmitted by the migrating birds. The project offered an excellent means of investigation and therefore had acquired an ominous significance. For the novice deputy secretary unused to such international cloak-and-dagger stuff, it was all like a John le Calais novel with the field agent not knowing whether he was the hunter or the hunted. The man's words explained the caution on the part of the officers he met and were terrifying indeed. Uh, was that a precursor to that project? Again, I obviously can't say, but it certainly is ominous, and that may have been the case. Again, this is what I call so often food for thought and grounds for further research. I also want to recap uh, a bit from a book we've used, particularly in For the Record 1135 and 1136. We came back to it in 1215. A very important book by Chris Newby, a researcher at Stanford University just down the road and uh, from here. Uh, it's called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons, published in hardcover by Harper Collins in 2019. And in that book, there is discussion of some research that was conducted by Daniel E. Summonshine, S-O-M-E-N-S-H-I-N-E, in Newport News, Virginia, and this was in 1968. Now, reading now from Bitten. For the Newport News study, he, Summonshine, planted poles to partition the woods into 47 equilateral squares, placing live animal traps covered with sticky tape at evenly spaced locations. 1,000 Lone Star Pick larvae were then released inside each square. Over the next few months, Summonshine and his helpers would return to the woods to collect picks from captured animals, cloth flags dragged along the ground, and the sticky tape. Each harvested pick was placed in a vial labeled with the location in which it in which it had been captured. Back at the lab, a technician would place the vials under a scintillation detector, unquote, to measure how many original release radioactive larval picks were in the batch. Adult and nymph stage picks were marked with covered enamel, paint, and then released into the square where they had been captured. The paint would allow them to be tracked as they migrated. Over the three years, again, this began in 1968, 194,150 radioisotope-tagged Lone Star Pick larvae were released at the two Virginia sites. The sites were located on the Atlantic Flyway, the migratory bird superhighway that runs along the eastern, South American, and North American coasts. On the face of it, there were clear public benefits to these pick field tests. One more time. On the face of it, there were clear public health benefits 
to these tick field tests. The Lone Star Pick had been moving northward in the last few years, and it would be useful for the pest control people to know the rate at which this species was migrating. But the studies were also useful for the U.S. military planners at Fort Beatrick, who wanted to know how far Lone Star Picks might spread when released into enemy territory. Skipping down. The Lone Star Pick was a, quote, vicious biter, attacking man readily and voraciously, unquote, said Glenn Coles, K-O-H-L-S, the pick zookeeper who worked with Vili Bergdorfer, the, uh, by the way, the discoverer of Lyme disease, a biological warfare researcher, and the man who confessed on a documentary film to having crafted Lyme disease as a BW weapon, as we have looked at. Again, 1135, 1135, 1136, and 1215. Continuing. Once more. The Lone Star Pick is a vicious biter, attacking man readily and voraciously, unquote, said Glenn Coles, the pick zookeeper who worked with Vini when he first arrived in Montana. The Rocky Mountain Lab occasionally sent batches of Lone Star Picks to Fort Beatrick. Skipping down again. Lone Star Picks have several survival advantages over their deer pick cousins. They don't wait patiently on the stalk of grass for passing prey. They are active hunters that crawl toward any carbon dioxide-emitting animal, including birds. Bear in mind, these uh, tests were conducted on the Atlantic Flyway, where migrating birds uh, all the way from Latin America go all the way up to the northeastern U.S. and probably beyond that. Speaking of the Rocky Mountain ticks, again, they don't wait patiently on... Uh, uh, the Lone Star pick, excuse me. They don't wait patiently on a stalk of grass for passing prey. They are active hunters that crawl toward any carbon dioxide emitting animal, including birds. They swarm. And unlike beard picks, they have primitive eyes to help them creep toward prospective prey. All three life stages of the Lone Star pick feed on foraging deer, which can carry them several miles a day to new wooded areas. Even more worrisome, Lone Star Picks are on the move, replacing long-standing native tick populations. After World War II, Lone Stars were fairly concentrated in the region south of the Mason-Dixon line, bounded on the west by Texas and on the east by the Atlantic coast. But in the 1970s, these ticks began rapidly expanding their range. The first Lone Star Pick observed on Montauk, Long Island, was in 1971, and as of 2018, established populations have been observed as far north as Maine. All this begs the question, what is driving this mass migration of the Lone Star Pick and its disease-causing hitchhikers northward? Indeed, I can't answer the question, but again, there's talking about how uh, the first Lone Star Pick was observed in Montauk, Long Island in 1971. Uh, the Daniel Somenshine experiments with radioisotope tagged Lone Star Picks on the Atlantic Flyway began in 1968. So certainly I think that is one of the possibilities that has to be contemplated. Uh, Recapping very briefly just a portion of what we have looked at in For the Records 1138 and 1139, uh, some of the emails, some of the material on Hunter Biden's discarded 
laptop were obtained by the Daily Mail, a right-of-center uh, newspaper in the UK. Uh, it has a, sort of a tabloid aspect to it, but also does have some good reportage. But it also is right-of-center, and the uh, gathering of this by Team Trump was certainly intended to, to tar Team Biden. And uh, if, if, in fact, the guy who obtained this uh, fled to Switzerland for protection, if, in fact, this were ever to come out, uh, it would not only tar Team uh, Trump, it would not tar Team Biden, it would tar Team Trump and a lot of other people, and that I'm sure will keep this squarely in the uh, province of, quote, conspiracy theory, unquote. However, uh, the Daily Mail was able to verify the emails on Hunter Biden's laptop uh, from the article that we've looked at before. Exclusive, Hunter Biden did help secure millions in funding for U.S. contractor in Ukraine, specializing in deadly pathogen research, laptop emails revealed, raising more questions about the disgraced son of the then Vice President. It is by Josh Boswell from the Daily Mail of March 25th of 2022. And uh, the aforementioned, the commander of the Russian Nuclear, Biological, and Chemical Protection Forces claimed there was a scheme, quote, scheme of interaction between U.S. government agencies and Ukrainian biological objects, unquote, and pointed to the, quote, financing of such activities by structures close to the current U.S. leadership, in particular the investment fund Rosemont Seneca, which is headed by Hunter Biden. Moscow's claim that Hunter Biden helped finance a U.S. military bioweapons research program in Ukraine is at least partially true, according to new emails obtained exclusively by DailyMail.com. Again, a right of center, British newspaper. Emails from Hunter's abandoned laptop show he helped secure millions of dollars of funding for Metabiopa, a Department of Defense contractor specializing in research on pandemic-causing diseases that could be used as bioweapons. Metabiopa has been a, an official partner, one more time, Metabiopa has been an official partner of EcoHealth Alliance since 2014, according to its website, EcoHealth Alliance, at the epicenter of the Oswald Institute of Virology series. Continuing. Hunter Biden also introduced Mephibiapa to an allegedly corrupt Ukrainian gas firm, Burisma, for a science project, unquote, involving high biosecurity level labs in Ukraine. Emails and defense contract data reviewed by DailyMail.com suggest that Hunter had a prominent role in making sure Metabiapa was able to conduct its pathogen research just a few hundred miles from the border with Russia. Metabiapa has worked in Ukraine for Black and Beach, a U.S. defense contractor, with deep ties to military intelligence agencies which built secure labs in Ukraine that analyzed killer diseases and bioweapons. Hunter was also particularly involved in Metabiathus operations in Ukraine. Hunter's pitches to investors claimed that they not only organized funding for the firm, they also helped it get, quote, new customers, unquote, including government agencies in case of Metabiapa, unquote. Former CIA officer Sam Fabis, who has revealed emails that former senior CIA officer Sam Fabis, F-A-B-B-I-S, who has reviewed emails on Hunter's laptop, told DailyMail.com that the offer to help assert Ukraine's independence 
was odd for a biotech executive. And uh, we have spoken about this at great length in For the Record 458 and 459. This material will be included again in the written description for For the Record 1243. However, we are all out of time. Uh, again, one wonders how many lies before you belong to the lies. Perhaps uh, Hunter Biden and uh, Joe Biden may be thinking about that right now. This concludes for the record program number 1243, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, Part 16, being recorded on April 29th of 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Cheers.